As parents, we all know that there are lots of things that our kids know they need to do, uh, but we have to keep reminding them to do it, right? And this is especially true of younger kids. How many times do you have to remind your kids to brush your teeth? I mean, you would think that by the fifth or sixth time reminding them it would no longer need to come up, that they would get, I need to brush my teeth, but yet it never fails. Parents, am I right? Did you brush your teeth? Did you brush your teeth? Did you brush your teeth? Maybe some of you wives have to say the same thing to your husbands. I don't know. It's possible. Uh, But brushing teeth, something that simple, it's like this constant reminder and battle, and the struggle is real. Right, parents? Uh, There's a reminder. Get in the bath. It's time to take your bath. You've got to take a bath. That's another one. Clean up your mess. Clean up your room. Put away whatever it is that you've gotten out. Hey, uh, help out with the dishes as your kids get older. I mean, it's, it's these things that constantly come up. These are things that should be automatic, but for some reason they're not. And we have to keep reminding them of that. And unfortunately, that doesn't completely go away as we grow up, does it, adults? No, not at all. There's all these things that we know we are supposed to do, and yet we find it very hard to do consistently. Things like exercise. We know we should exercise. But for some reason, it's just really hard to do that consistently, right? Maybe you have a treadmill that doesn't really do much of the treadmill work, and it's, instead it's this wonderful addition for your clothes to be put on and hang on top of. Um, closely associated with that, healthy eating. We know we're supposed to eat healthy, but man, those Quarter Pounders and Big Macs and Supreme Pizzas and Snickers, they just are so good, and they're so convenient, so easy, so quick. Staying on budget. Mm, Now that's a big one, right? Okay, enough meddling, enough meddling. You get my point. There's these things we know we're supposed to do. It should be automatic, and yet we find it very difficult to consistently do day in and day out. And the same is true for us spiritually. The same is true spiritually. There are lots of things that, we know we're supposed to do or supposed to be as Christians things that the Bible clearly commands and instructs us to do, yet we still find it easy to forget or ignore them. And we have a hard time when it comes to consistently obeying and applying. Right? You agree with me on that? That's what we're going to be talking about in this series that we're starting today. Our new series, One Another's. One Another's. And I call it that because a hundred times, at least, the New Testament uses the phrase, one another, to describe how Christians, how Christ church, all of us, should consistently act and interact with one another. hundred times the New Testament gives us different things that we are to be and to do toward one another, as well as some things, we'll talk about a couple of these, that we are not to do to one another or with one another. So all these things about how we should act and interact as believers, as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we get started today, we're going to focus on Christ's command to love one another. That's how we're going to get started. 
today in this series. Christ's command to love one another. And intellectually, we understand and agree with that command. We, we know that. We accept that, okay, yes, I'm supposed to love you. You're supposed to love me. As Christians, we're supposed to love one another. We get that. It computes. But let's be real. We often find it very, very hard to actually do. Am I right? find it very hard to do this command that we know we're supposed to do. And this comes up a lot of different ways and with a lot of different scenarios. And unfortunately, so much of the difficulty to do that, to love one another, so much of that can be readily, easily observed right here in the church. The church of Jesus. The very institution that should be a shining light to all the world of what it really means to love one another, often, unfortunately, it's the opposite that's observed and felt and demonstrated. There is a list of ridiculous things church members have fought over, and it's compiled by Tom Rainier, who is the founder of an online church resource ministry called Church Answers. Formerly, he was CEO of Lifeway Christian Bookstores. And he compiled this list, and there's a lot. I wish it was just three that made this list. I wish there were all that that could be observed. There's over 25 on this list. I have picked just three to share with you this morning. And so here we go. Here's three examples of ridiculous things that church members have fought over. And this started out as a very brief, very simple survey on Twitter, but it blew up. Because there were so many pastors and leaders that responded to this survey, it became this huge list. And isn't that sad? That there were so many examples that could be given of ridiculous things church members have fought over. So here we go. Number one, fighting over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. So Matthew, did we bring a ruler for you today? I don't know. I guess we need to get one. I guess we need to get one. Yeah, fighting over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. Hmm. Second, fighting over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. Okay. So, yeah, that's sadly, twistedly ironic that here we are, the church of Jesus, and yet we're fighting over which picture to put of him to put. I mean, and it's not like any of us were there to take the picture. So none of us know. And even if we did, I wonder what would honor him more, you know, fighting over a picture or deciding that it doesn't matter and we're going to love each other. That's where we should be. But okay, moving on. Number three, fighting over whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. And, you know, really what I would say if I were there, hey, it should be fine as long as we also serve angel food cake. (laughs) Then we cancel it out. Wow. It is safe to say that the people involved in these examples were completely missing the application of Christ's command to love one another as found in John 13, 
34 and 35. And that's where we're going to be today. John 13, 34 through 35. We'll look at other passages too to correlate, but that's going to be our main passage. John 13, 34 through 35. Look at that with me, please. John 13, beginning at verse 34. This is God's word to you and me, to us. Verse 34, Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, I give you a new command. Love one another. And it would have been difficult even if that's where he stopped. We've already established that this morning already, that it's difficult to love one another. But he didn't stop there. Let's keep reading. I give you a new command, love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Talk about throwing down the gauntlet. And what he's saying here with love, it is the word agape. And I think you probably know, most of you, many of you anyway, that agape refers to that self-sacrificial love. Self-sacrificing love. Love that, that you have and you're willing to actually forget yourself, lay down yourself for the sake of the one you're loving. And that's certainly a, a huge part of this agape love, the love that, that Jesus demonstrated, the God-type love. But it goes beyond just being self-sacrificing. Agape love is not based on the recipient of that love being worthy or deserving of it. That's what agape love is all about. It is self-sacrificing, but it also understands something. That it's not based on the person, the object of that love, being worthy of it, or doing enough to get it, or deserving of that kind of love. That's not what it's based on. Okay, I'll give you this self-sacrificing, self-denying love if you're worthy of it, if you reach a certain level, if you reach a certain standard, if you come up enough to be worthy of this love, then sure, I'll give it to you. I'll do everything I can. I'll even lay down myself for you. That's not agape love. It's all about the person giving the love. That's what agape love is about. And that's the love that Jesus is commanding here. That's the love he's calling his disciples, the original ones in the immediate context here, but also the current ones, you and me. Love one another. But here's what I mean by that, Jesus is saying. Here's the level of love that you need to have for one another. It's loving one another just as I have loved you. See, my fellow Christians, what this means, what Jesus was saying, and what we need to take away from this is this. The way our Savior loves us is our standard for the way we love one another. That's the standard. The standard that was set for us when Jesus sacrificed Himself for us. That's the standard. Jesus had previously said, loving your neighbor as yourself was the second greatest commandment. 
And that's found in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. The people came up to him and, and were, were testing him and quizzing him and trying to trap him. And they said, what do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to keep the law? What do you think is the greatest commandment? And it went on and on and on. And Jesus said that the second commandment, it was part of that conversation. We won't get into that now. But the second greatest commandment, he said, previously to this, was loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, here in this passage, he took things to a whole new level. Whole new level. Jesus didn't tell his followers to love based on how they are shown love. Jesus isn't telling his disciples to show love based on how they want to be loved. He didn't say, love one another according to cultural standards or norms. What's expected out there in society. He said, as I have loved you. And I want you to consider how difficult an assignment this commandment was and is. This command was given right before Jesus went to the cross. That's the context here where this command is given. He had washed his disciples' feet. He was giving them all these final instructions He drops the bomb about one of you betraying me. He's getting ready to go to the garden where he's going to be arrested. He's going to be tried, tortured, and ultimately executed. That's what's going on around this incredible new command. This command was obviously connected to the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus was about to give and to go through with. And so in giving this command this way and in that context, he was calling all of his followers to deny and die to self. He was calling them to deny and die to self. And remember, we are part of that same call and that same command. Die to self. Deny to self. Why was that so important? Why was Jesus calling them to do that? It was all so that they could love one another better than they loved themselves. And for us, the call goes out to us as well in the same way. Deny and die to self so that we can love one another better than we love ourselves. See, that's the new command. The previous command... Love your neighbor as you love yourself, as you want to be loved, as you value yourself, value other people the same way. Jesus raised it up a notch and he said, no, go farther than that. I want you to love others better, higher, more supremely than you love yourself. And man, is that hard to do because we love ourselves pretty easily and we love ourselves quite highly. I mean, most of us are not just members of our fan club. We are the president of it as well. Most of us, if we're honest, are number one fan. And so loving someone else, loving one another better, higher, more supremely than we love ourselves, that's a tall order. And we're not going to be able to love one another better than we love ourselves unless we die to ourselves and deny ourselves. 
That's what Jesus was calling all disciples, all genuine followers of him to do, to be. He was calling us, church, to love better than what we see every day out there in the world around us. Because every day out there in the world around us, we see the opposite of love, right? We certainly see the opposite of loving one another. We see loving self quite a bit. It's everywhere. It's all over the place. You don't have to look very far. You want to know what it is to love self? Look out in the world. Gives you great examples all the time. Everywhere you turn. So what Jesus is calling us to is to love better than what the world loves. Because the world just doesn't love one another very well. Certainly not better than they love themselves. Listen, listen to me. We, Christians, we are not going to stand out if we love the way the world loves. We're going to stand out when we love as the Savior of the world loves. You with me on that? You understand? We're not going to stand out to the world if we love the way the world loves. It's not going to happen. There's nothing different there. But if we, if, if I determine myself, if I choose, I'm going to love you the way Christ loves me. And if you determine you're going to love me the way Christ loves you, and if we do that together, one to another, that's going to stand out. That's going to really stand out. And that's what we're called to do and to be. So that's verse 34. Okay, let's look at verse 35. So he just said, as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Then verse 35, he continues, by this, by loving one another as I have loved you, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If, there's the condition, if you love one another. And that points back again to, as I have loved you. Don't love one another based on your own standards. Don't love one another based on how you are receiving love from each other. Base your standard of love for one another on my love, my self-sacrificing, self-denying, ultimate sacrifice and expression of love that, that I am about to do and to give you. And what this means, what this tells us, this verse, this clearly lets us know that love for one another should be the defining characteristic of our Christianity. I'm going to say that again because I want to make sure you get that. What Jesus was saying here in this next verse, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He was saying that love for one another, like, like his love, should be the, the defining characteristic of our Christianity. That should be the main thing that we are known by. The main thing that defines and describes us. The main thing that drives all that we do and all that we are in our Christianity, both, both personally and corporately. 
So everything I do individually on my own as an individual follower of Christ should point back to this Christ-like love, loving one another as Christ loved me. And you should be doing the same thing. And then as we gather like we are right here, the corporate body of Christ, the thing that everybody around Faith Baptist Church should be able to say about us is, wow, do they love one another. Wow. They're not a huge church. They don't have all the different programs and activities that this church over here has and this church over there has, but... Have you ever been there? Oh my, if you go, if you go into that church, you're going to come away knowing something. That church, man, they love one another. What would it be like to have that said about us by not just people that are already part of us, but by people that don't even agree with us? What would it be like to be a church so known by love for one another that even people who don't accept our message cannot help but talk about this incredible, weird love that we have for one another that they just can't figure out? How is it that they love one another like that? What would that be like? That's what we're called to be and to do. That's the defining characteristic of our Christianity that our Savior set for us. Church, Jesus didn't say, everyone will know we are His and and that the message we proclaim is real and life-changing by how many debates and arguments we can win by how good we are at proving we're right. He didn't say that. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you win every argument and you prove how right you are. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say, everyone will know you are my disciples by this, by how many Bible verses you can quote. He didn't say that. By this, how many exciting programs and activities that your church offers. By this, how great our worship music is and how great our messages are. No, he didn't say any of that. He said, by this, by loving one another as I have loved you, by that, everyone will know that you are my disciples and that what you say sets you apart really does set you apart. Now, I'm not saying any of those things are bad in themselves or unimportant. Certainly knowing Scripture is not bad or unimportant. Worshiping together and having worship music that lifts us up in a place of worship, that's not bad, that's not unimportant. But here's what I am saying. Please, everybody, everybody just tune back in if you've tuned out, okay? Here's what I'm saying. Those things... Don't impress our Savior or impact other people nearly as much as having Christ-like love for one another does. 
That's what makes the difference. That's what makes people stand up and take notice. And that's what blesses the heart of our Savior when He sees us loving one another well like He loved us. As followers of Christ, we have an opportunity and a calling to show everyone around us what real love looks like. And that's what everybody wants. Everybody's looking for that. Everybody's hungry for real love. It's just that they look for it in the wrong places. We have an opportunity in Christ, as Christ followers, to show everyone what real love looks like, what it's about. So, with that in mind, let's dig deeper. Let's dig deeper into how important that is and what it really means for us. 1 John 4, 7 through 11, and verses 20 through 21. 1 John 4, 7 through 11, and 20 through 21. Here's what God's Word says in this passage. 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, or beloved, in other words, the Apostle John is writing to his fellow Christians, to the church. Dear friends, Let us love one another because love is from God. He's the source of it. He's the originator of it. Love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So here's what he's saying. God is the source of love, the originator of it. So if any of us are able to love We have to have been born again in Him, from Him, by Him. Because it's just not possible to really, genuinely love other people unless we have received that love and the ability to love from God. That's what he's saying here. Love is from God, and everyone who loves, like He loves, has been born of God and knows God. Then verse 8. The one who does not love, remember he's writing to Christians, writing to the church. The one, you could even insert the Christian, quote, quote, the Christian, who does not love, does not know God. Why? How could you say that, John? Why are you being so harsh? Because God is love. So if you say you know God, but you don't love, then you obviously don't really know God. That's what he's saying. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Verse 10, love consists, it's made up in this. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 11, dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. Verse 20, If anyone says, I love God, oh, I love God, and yet 
hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Verse 21. And we have this command from him. Not a suggestion, not a wish, a command. We have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. And that means whether it's easy for us to love them or not. Whether they have done anything to deserve that love or not. There's no conditions to that. Not if you feel like it. Not if they're lovable. No. Period. Must love his brother and sister. That's it. No conditions, no outs. If you say you love God, you must also love your brother and sister. No matter what. So, what this, what this means and what we can take from this passage is that what we say needs to match what we do. What we say needs to match what we do. Actions really do speak louder than words. That's what John was driving home. You can say you love God all day long. Oh, I love God. I love God. You can sing praises to Him and you can talk about how much you love God. But if you don't love your brother and sister the way God loves you, you're a liar. And it doesn't matter what you say. Your actions have betrayed your words, as they always will. Actions do speak louder than words. And so what we say needs to match what we do, believers. Listen, we can have all our doctrinal ducks in a row. We can have all of our theology tight and right. But if we fail to consistently love one another as Christ loves us, we take the power out of our message. We take all the power out of our message. And we prove ourselves to be not just hypocritical, but liars if we don't love one another the way God loves us and the way we say and claim that we love God. So with all this talk about loving one another, it's really important for us to remember what love looks like. If we're to love one another well, if we're to love one another the way Christ loves us, it's important for us to remember what that looks like. And what love looks like is Jesus. That's what love looks like. And I want you to see that from a different perspective than maybe you're used to seeing connected to Jesus. I want to draw your attention to 1 Corinthians 13, and specifically verses 4 through 7. In the previous verses, 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul writes, basically, you can have all these good things true of you. You can do all these great things and achieve all these wonderful things and And from the outside, you know, you can look like a great Christian. You can have all these spiritual gifts. You can give away all your money for those who need it. You can explain all these truths and have all this wisdom. But he says, but if 
if I have not love, if I don't love the way I'm supposed to love, the way Christ loves us, if you don't do that, if we don't have love, then it matters nothing. All that we have done for Christ even, all that we say, all that we know, all that we can do in the church, it's not going to matter if we don't have love. That's, that's my summary of the first few verses of this chapter. This chapter has been coined as being the love chapter. And 1 Corinthians 13, you hear it at weddings, right? That's usually where you hear it read. Weddings. And that's fitting because a wedding, a marriage, is supposed to picture Christ's love for the church. So it's fitting that it's read in that context, in that situation. But what I want to suggest to you is we should all see what's written in these verses as describing Jesus, because it certainly does. And He is the only one that perfectly lives out what we're going to read love is, or what love looks like. He's the one that perfectly lives that out and shows that and pictures that for us. So with that in mind, here's 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's what love is. That's what love does. And who better to exemplify that than the one who is love, the Lord Jesus. We see that perfectly in Him. But we are also to see that in one another. And so what that means, what all this comes down to is this. Loving one another well means loving like Jesus. Loving one another well means loving like Jesus, Christian. It doesn't mean I love based on how you show me love. Or you love based on how I show you love in my imperfection and your imperfection. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that our standard for love is contingent upon us getting love the way we should. We don't base it on how the world views love and how it loves and how it doesn't love. We don't base our love for one another on how we are treated by one another. We base our love and we love one another well like Jesus does. He's our standard. The way He loves is our goal. That's our measure. And that's what it means to love well. It means to love like Jesus. And I know what you're thinking. At least I think I do. (laughs) How in the world am I going to do that? 
How do I do something like that? And that's what the disciples had to be thinking too. Especially, especially after he went to the cross. Once they figured it all out. When he came back to life and they finally started putting the pieces together. And it wasn't, I bet, I, obviously I'm, I wasn't there Can't verify this at this point, but I bet it really didn't click until the promised Holy Spirit came. When Jesus said, I'm going to send you another comforter, another of the same kind like me, he will be with you always, he will recall to your mind all the words I've spoken to you, he will lead you in all truth, he will empower you, then I think they probably started to get it. This love that Jesus had for us, that he was willing to go to the cross for us, and that he told us to have one for another, we can't do that on our own. Oh, but now we have the power from on high. We have the Spirit of God himself in us, enabling us to love like Jesus loved. And that's the point. That's the key. To do this, what we're talking about today, to love one another the way Jesus loves us, To do that, we have to daily, moment by moment, depend on and apply the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Because, let's face it, loving one another is just not easy to do. And it doesn't come naturally to any of us, myself included. Don't think that just because I'm a pastor, I find it really easy to love. You know how uh, people that served in wars overseas, military vets, I bet Cormie could tell you this and others, when they have seen war, real war, it is hard for them to see humanity, to see their fellow man as anything but awful. Because they've seen the worst of men in war. Well, let me just tell you, just honestly, as a pastor... It's really hard for me to love well because part of being a pastor is seeing the worst of people. But that doesn't get me off the hook. (laughs) That doesn't mean I get some sort of pass. No, I am just as commanded as you are to love you and everybody else the way Christ loves me. And I can't possibly be any worse at loving him the way he loves me than what you can. So we're all in the same boat. We don't love Jesus the way he should receive love from us, and we certainly don't love one another the way Jesus loves us, naturally, humanly, which is why all of us Christians need, need, need what we were already given, and that's the power of the Spirit of God. That's how we love one another well. God knew we would need that, and He provided it. And He he made His supernatural power always available to us. That's really good news. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for not just calling us to do something and commanding us to do something, but giving us the power to do it. What you have commanded, what you have called us to, you give us the means by which to do it, and that's the Spirit of God in us. Help us, please, all who are truly yours, 
to depend on and apply the power of your Spirit within us. Help us to love one another well, not based on how we define loving well, but based on Jesus and how He loved us. Spirit of God, please help us to walk in that kind of love and to give that kind of love one to another. We desperately need you. We cannot love each other the way Jesus loved us on our own or by anything we possess. It must come from you. Fill us up with that love, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.